0: We're gonna uh, get started. Um, I'm Chris Gale for, for this episode, episode eight of the Private Capital Strategy Series. And today we have uh, Chris Valentine, senior managing partner at Solaris uh, Capital. And uh, I'm playing uh, the host role in uh, Paul's place because we're also gonna be asking uh, questions of uh, Paul here at uh, Four Pines. Chris, let's let's start with you. You're headquartered in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Uh, the windows outside the office have just been uh, clean, and uh, you provide uh, responsible growth capital in overlooked markets uh, with diverse uh, founders, and uh, today you're going to share your views on investing growth capital in those overlooked markets, in those diverse founders, including the greatest opportunities and challenges um, uh, for the firm uh, as a champion of DEI and what that means for fund operations, I'm going to ask um question about uh, emergent managers and operations of, of Paul. But uh, Chris, can you kick us off um, and tell us a little bit about uh, the firm and how uh, you got where you are today? Great,
1: thanks Chris, happy to be here. Um, so Solaris Capital uh, is an SEC registered investment advisory firm based in San Juan, as you mentioned. And you know, it's really been brought together by four partners who are at you know sort of critical parts in their career and you know, what we discovered was that our skill set was very complementary um, between you know, what we've done on the debt side and both structured and traditional debt and high yield and, and CLO debt, and, and the things that we've done in both private equity and, and alternative investments as an allocator and a direct investor and direct lender across our various careers really fit together to sort of provide companies with a very bespoke hands-on cradle to grave solution for how they can grow their business from scratch. And a lot of times the entrepreneurs that we're, you know, partnering with really need that. And, uh, you know, we're really excited to sort of come together and and bring those experiences as both an issuer and an investor uh, together for our clients.
0: Awesome. And um, can you tell us about uh, founding in uh, Puerto Rico?
1: And yeah, so Puerto Rico, uh, you know, really kind of grew on us. Uh, uh, Sean is one of our, the co-founders, and I came down here for a conference um, many years ago and really fell in love with it as a, as a place and you know, met folks along the way who were very like-minded and, and sort of wanting to you know, move things forward, both for their individual businesses and careers, but also for the island. Uh, and this was all after Hurricane Maria. So we were very excited to see what we could do to help. And so from, a, from our investors and from our counterparties, you know, other than uh, sort of the jokes to wanting to do due diligence in Puerto Rico uh, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a final step in any process is mostly invisible. to to the people we work with. But at the same time, for us, we get to live, work and play here and take on other initiatives, both um, in what we do on the investment side, but also what we do outside of the investment business uh, to sort of have an impact on the local community, uh, whether it's through establishing nonprofits, which we've done uh, by establishing a 5G zone and, and blockchain innovation lab, or just being involved personally in you know, preserving the rainforest or other things that are, that are going on. So it's a, it's a great place to, to be based.
0: Fantastic. And then investing in growth capital in overlooked markets with diverse founders. Um, I think that's being talked about more. I think uh, it seems to be quite important. Um, I think it's always been important, but maybe more than ever now. Um, what are your thoughts on that topic?
1: You know, we're, well, firstly, you know, we're very excited that this conversation is becoming more mainstream and, and very excited because we, we didn't have to necessarily set out as a minority owned firm ourselves um, with uh, three Howard graduates as part of the team. You know, we have a personal network and professional network that is naturally inclusive. Um, and so what we're seeing is that when we presented with opportunities from people within that network. Um, you know, maybe it's a little bit easier for us to come up to speed because of the history of that network and the history of the relationships with those folks. And because we're tapped into the institutional market, you know, sort of acting as a bridge where our capital base now feels a different level of comfort with things that would naturally have occurred in our network um, and bring those to the light to give them a little bit of an even footing um, with the deals that would have naturally occurred. Um, without sort of this conversation being in the forefront. And, uh, you know, that's, that's been really exciting. You know, we, we're all individually sort of involved in different parts of the DEI space. Um, personally, I'm involved in the, you know, DEI steering committee uh, as part of <clears throat> the structured Finance Association. And uh, there's a number of initiatives that people on the team are involved with both per- per- personally and then do their roles in Solaris as well.
0: And then where do you see the greatest opportunities um, in your particular space and why? Well, our, our main focus is in
1: specialty finance um, overall as a firm. And we found that um, where that overlaps with fintech is where we're finding a whole host of opportunities. And you know, fintech covers a lot of ground. It could be you know, sort of an innovative and technology-driven way of doing something that's very simple and basic. And it could be a complete re-engineering of an entire vertical. And so because financial services makes up such a big part of the economy, somewhere around 20 to 25% of economic activity, um, we still see that it only represents about 10 to 15% of private investment on the equity side. And, and on the debt side, you know, it's a much smaller. And so we continue to see financial technology as the place that we want to invest. We continue to see markets that are overlooked, whether it's people who are targeting uh, minority communities, people who are targeting immigrants, or even an overlooked geography like uh, like Puerto Rico, for example, um, where there's a host of opportunities in things that you would consider sort of very traditional and down the middle, consumer finance, um, point of sale finance, that are are overlooked just because they're not in the natural geographical elements uh, where they
0: typically occur. Slow my mute button there. Um, And then what about the um, the greatest challenges uh, you're facing?
1: You know, our biggest challenge is is two things, actually. One is is perception, and two is time. Um, So our team has sort of come together. We're a young firm. And, um, you know, most of the members of the team have known each other for double-digit years. Um, But as a young firm, you're still always building your track record as a team. And you know you can have your individual you know, accolades and, and, and history, but as a team, you really need to come together and form a cohesive track record for people to really latch onto and move things forward. Um, the other perceptional aspect, I think, is that as a, as a smaller firm and a young firm, uh, there's also a lot of sort of critical, um, critical infrastructure perception issues about, following through on asset management, following through on governance, reporting, et cetera, when you're punching you know, really above your weight in terms of both deal size and the volume of deals that we've been able to, to generate. Uh, and then the, the second thing is time. You know, We are a small team, we are trying to grow, we are in an overlooked geography. Uh, and so when we rec- try to recruit people to look about growing our firm, whether it's on the investment side or ops or anything else, um, our preference is for those people to either be in Puerto Rico or relocate to Puerto Rico. And so we're competing against, you know, names you'd know in cities, you'd know, and, you know, even seeing other cities in the United States, like Miami and Austin have these, you know, sort of shots in the arm to really grow. You know, we're now competing with them. It's not just New York and Chicago and LA anymore. It's, it's really a host of second cities that are, that, are, that are competing with us for talent. And so um, it puts a big constraint on our time. Uh, which is the one thing you can never get back and never make more of.
0: (laughs) That's really interesting about the geography of talent as a constraint. Um, Paul, I want to turn to you. Um, Chris touched on fintech and, um, and Tolaris represents um, for me at least um, looking for opportunities where others might be uh, missing it. Uh, we're overlooking it, and um, we've talked about uh, time and uh, the time it takes to, to do uh, the research and then the time on recruitment um, on, on what's invariably always uh, a small team, but when you're emergent um, or maybe you're looking at your second, third fund, the pressure there, um, what does Four Pines experience uh, here?
2: Yeah, absolutely. This is something that, I mean, you and I were talking before the call, too, is, is we're hearing a lot of emerging managers um, come to us just for guidance, for um, use us as our expertise, for our expertise. Um, but we're seeing a lot of GPs are seeking op- operational efficiencies for the middle and back office, and that almost has to be much better than everyone else's. I mean, we're seeing, as I said, a lot of firms come to us trying to leverage our exper- expertise, how to structure their operations, and what they need to be successful. Uh, and a lot of firms will tell you too, they can't afford to pad their team or, or add processes that don't add value today. Uh, but at the same time, you really need stronger, more accurate, and faster processes than the other folks. Um, because of the amount of detail the emerging managers have that they need to go through and they need to obviously impress. Um, and anytime you're investing in things other folks have missed, there's a, this psychological, psychology of assuming there must be something that's too good to be true. Uh, and that's, I mean, we see it, there must be a reason why other folks are missing this alpha. So Operational due diligence can be more assertive. Um, So yeah, emerging managers are essentially requiring high quality middle and back office and honestly lean into that themselves as they do with everything else uh, to make sure it's being done right and and accountable to their investors. And that's really where we're coming into play to really help streamline that and and add value.
0: Awesome. So um, your team, um, what do they bring to the table in terms of the basket of talent and technology, because there must be a limit to what technology can do. And uh, where does the talent come in for, again, emergent managers, folks raising that second, third fund?
2: Sure, I mean, we really, I mean, I think we've talked on on previous webcasts too, just about our out-of-the-box thinking here. I mean, our CTO, Bob Valf, is from IBM. um, And we've talked to in the past about just really the, the need for technology in this industry. Um, so we, we bring that to all of our clients, and, and really we're able to do it, I think, better for emerging management managers, raising their second, third, or fourth fund um, in a more targeted target and prioritized fashion than others. Uh, we're trying to help fill the gaps in operations using technology, and I really think a key differentiator for us here is really our managed services and how we can help streamline that um, as well for, for uh, emerging managers. And our team, frankly, like Chris, I mean, we've worked at top tier firms, we've been We've seen where the opportunities lay to really perfect the process with the new software development capabilities and and available now.
0: Great, and then Chris, if I come back to you, um, and I'd like to come back to um, DEI, and you've incorporated DEI into the firm's culture. Um, And again, this is is a topic that is um, getting a lot of uh, focus. Can you talk more about the DEI specifically and how um, Solaris approaches that?
1: Yeah, Absolutely. So for example, um, when we think about verticals that we go into, we, and I think I mentioned a little bit of this earlier, we we tap directly into our network. And, you know, I think just given where we are in our careers and the fact that by design um, as a minority-led team, you know, it's literally in our DNA <laughs> to, to be thinking about these things. And so when we think about um you know solar finance or something to do with the sort of sustainable energy and the finance needs from a debt perspective and the structured financing perspective the first thing that comes to mind is let's tap into x y or z person who's one of the leaders in that but that that might be someone from our college days or might be someone from our early days in our career socially or otherwise and those relationships are not only long-standing but you know there's a trust there that you know there is no stupid questions, right? Maybe this is a new vertical for us, or maybe this is something that we're expanding into. But at the same time, you end up developing opportunities with people that might not have been the deal coming into door to you, but you're you're generating that activity through through your network. And so it's it's literally built into everything that we do. Um, you know, whether it's looking at, at the opportunities and creating opportunities in Puerto Rico, whether it's thinking about um, uh, minority uh, and, and women-owned firms that are out there in government contracting or in fintech that might have, you know, be overlooked with respect to venture funding or the commensurate debt funding that's required for, for many fintechs. Uh, and so, you know, through our network, through our lens and, and through the way that we sort of approach markets and think about both finding opportunities as well as creating opportunities, um you know it's it's really top of mind and it it sort of naturally occurs based on you know how our careers and our personal and and social circles have unfolded
0: excellent and um we've covered a fair amount of ground here between technology operations uh, emergent managers di uh if we focus again on sellers um what what are your future plans what are you looking at uh in front of your nose now
1: well, now that I've heard about a lot of these capabilities, I'm thinking about streamlining our due diligence with investors by uh, by having a world-class team of uh, fund services. But uh, you know, you know, we're really looking to grow, and you know, big part of that growth is uh, talent, and you know, not all talent is uh, is going to come in house, and so we're looking to put together a world-class um, organization that's composed of both. People who we hire directly under our flag, as well and as well as the people who we decide to work with, whether it's a third-party marketer, investment banks, um, you know, sort of people who provide leverage or fund uh, fund services and legal and other. Um, we're really trying to put together a team for going to market that we can continue along the lines of everything that we're doing and do more of it. Because I think if we can do a little bit more every year of what we're already doing. Um, that would be enough to for me to one day hang up these spurs and feel like I had a great career. And so um, we're really excited about just continuing along the path that we started and, and getting this these ideas and these opportunities out to more and broader investors.
0: Excellent. Uh, I've got three questions uh, from our audience. Um, and question one is for Chris. Um You've talked about fintech and you've talked about Dei. Uh, can you tell us more about the intersection uh, between these uh, between these two?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things um, that that we've come across is that entrepreneurship is contagious, right? And so as you know venture capital investing as well as sort of people who've taken on venture capital funding have become more prominently in the sort of mainstream, you know, that sort of infectious nature of it has caused entrepreneurs to spring up from everywhere. And so I think the more spotlight we put on and the more attention we put on people who are garnering investment and, you know, what that means in terms of the impact and change that it could have in the world and sort of how it's pushing the envelope forward, the more you'll see minority and women-owned entrepreneur minority and women entrepreneurs jumping into these spaces and when they do jump into these spaces it, it you know for us it, you know we're sitting in a very fortunate seat that you know average age of an entrepreneur unlike what most people think is it's not 22 it's more like 42 and so as somebody who's 43 <laughs> when people <laughs> when people jump into to make these businesses it's likely somebody who is through 6 degrees of separation you know, right in that wheelhouse. And, you know, hopefully we're connected in that way. Uh, and outside of that, there's also firms that might operate in a much earlier stage than we would um, that are probably one or two levels removed from us with respect to the types of investments we look at, who that is also their singular focus. And so now we are out partnering with firms that have this focus that are maybe a little bit earlier than us or and some who are a little bit later than us to sort of, create the conditions to move these companies along their progression throughout their life cycle. And, you know, that, that intersection has been very interesting. Um, There's people out there who are focused on giving, you know, billion dollar checks to women um, startups. There's people who are out there focused on black and brown communities. And so we'd love to be the handoff for when that seed or pre-seed or even almost series A round uh, is moving along to be that next leg of institutional both debt and, and, and growth equity capital for those companies.
0: Great. And the next one is for Paul. Um, uh, can Paul tell us more about um, advice for um, emergent uh, managers as well as raising second and third uh, funds? Uh, there must be a limit to um, um, how to prioritize what needs to be done for operations? Uh, how do you, how do you set, help um, managers set priorities? I that yeah, problem. I mean, we
2: have, we get that often, um, that question, and we really will sit down with them and go through just leveraging Celeste and Mike's um, background and expertise and go through and come up with a check, checklist with them and work through, I mean, a lot of the stuff, it's, it's how much they've got the bandwidth to do as much as what we can help to Um, I mean, with regards to legal compliance, all of those aspects we're able to, we've got that network, like Chris mentioned, um, being able to leverage that and and go to those um, resources as well to help. So we really try to to come up with a a detailed plan, especially when it comes to the emergent managers and how to help them.
0: The last of the three uh, questions. Uh, Chris uh, mentioned a blockchain lab earlier on. Can he share more about the blockchain lab?
1: Sure. So here in Puerto Rico, um, we were part of establishing a nonprofit, and we, uh, we partnered also with Invest Puerto Rico, who is an economic development engine, public-private partnership, to create um, a lab that does two things. On one side, it's focused on 5G and also 6G technologies and telecommunications, and on the other side, it's focused on blockchain ignition, because at the heart of it, uh, the blockchain can't run without a connected network. Right, that's the first thing. Number two, um, 5G is really the first step towards edge processing. Um, So, you know, 5G connectivity and and then eventually 6G, um, you know, connectivity will need to be augmented at the edge with processing in order to make things that are being developed in web 3.0 and AR and VR work in real time with low latency across large spaces, right? At least until such a time as Starlink is complete and maps the whole globe. But until such a time, those things need to interact. And many of these interactions for blockchain and um, sort of web 3.0 driven businesses are going to need to have a presence at the places where the, um, the telecommunications um, take place. And so our lab will allow people to test both web 3.0 and blockchain driven initiatives and need to be very close to um, uh, the source of of uh, the connectivity, as well as are going to need to be supplemented with edge processing, so that you can test the metaverse project at our lab and know that you know you're going to have the tools in order to see if that will work in real life, um, and also be you know connected to you know effectively the hub of the undersea cables and, and other things. And, and we have partnerships with both the Indiana lab as well as um, Texas A&M uh, to help facilitate, you know, all types of endeavors, uh, to test them out.
0: Cool. Actually, uh, the f- fourth question came in and I think this will be, it. Uh, um, <clears throat> Chris, I think they mean me, um, uh, uh, keeps mentioning emergent and raising second and third, uh, funds, um, can Paul address, um, the different needs that managers might have at those different points, emergent, second and third uh, fund. Paul, do you want to take Yeah, absolutely.
2: One? I mean, more so it's just being a partner. Um, and as you're they're, as they're growing, I mean, we're there to help. I mean, obviously there's a lot more work involved with each fund. It's, I mean, as I mentioned, utilizing technology as well, for example, our online subdocs, being able to automate all of that for not just the investors, but the GPs as well, when it comes to fundraising. Um, And then also, I mean, being able to utilize that previous data, be able to pre-populate it going forward for the additional funds. So it's just streamlining these processes that we hear, we see that are manual uh, and repetitive for like cap calls, distribution, stuff like that. We've got automated um, processes in place and solutions as well that will help with that with our collaboration platform and our online subdocs. So there's a host of things that we can leverage from a technology standpoint, as well as people and knowledge base to help with that.
0: Fantastic. Okay. Well, that's, uh, we really appreciate, um, Chris, uh, you coming on and, and joining us. Uh, thank you, Paul, for letting me, uh, step into the, uh, captain's chair here. Thanks everybody for joining. Uh, we'll have, uh, an update on the next webcast, uh, coming up and, uh, we'll have a recording, uh, available. Oh, I'll give everybody an update. Thanks so much everybody. Thanks Norman. Thank you.